It's time for Matt Geek Gab, and listener Todd brings us our quick tip of the week. Uh, if you're in a folder in the Finder and hit Command-F, the default is to search this Mac. I almost always want to limit the search to the folder I am in. To change the default, which I do on every Mac I use, go to the Finder, Finder Preferences, uh, Advanced, when performing a search, and select the current folder. Now you can hit Command-F, type what you want to search for, and a list is displayed for the hits in that folder. More tips like this. Plus, your questions answered today on Mac Geek Gab 974 for Monday, March 27th, 2023. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your tips just like that one that Todd did. You send in your questions. You send in your cool stuff found. We share your tips just like we, John just did. We share your cool stuff found. We share your questions and hopefully are able to provide some answers. Of course, you send all those in to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. We take everything that you've sent in. We take our answers. We take some of your answers, string it all together every week into an agenda with the goal being that Every single time we get together, each and every one of us, including me, we each learn five new things. Sponsors for this episode include Notion at Notion.com slash MacGeekGab, where Notion has added Notion AI to help you start your ideas right there in Notion with help from AI. It's amazing. ShadyRays.com slash MGG, because what's better than getting one pair of Shady Rays and not worrying if you break or lose them? Getting two! And that's what you can do at ShadyRays.com slash MGG. And also Honey at JoinHoney.com slash MGG, the tool that scours the internet for promo codes and then automatically applies them. We'll talk more in depth about each and every one of those a little bit later in the episode here. For now... Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. How are we today, Mr. John F. Braun? Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. All right. Getting by. Getting by. We are. We're, I'm, I'm happy to be back here in the studio, man. Uh, it was fun traveling. Don't get me wrong. Had a lot of great experiences. We'll talk a lot about, uh, we've got some more stuff, in fact, to talk about from South by Southwest coming up, um, if not in today's episode, certainly in uh, in next week's. But uh, but it's good to be home. It's good to be back in my standard recording environment, uh, hopefully without network issues. Hang on. Must knock on wood. But uh, a network that I get to control at least far more of than I could in uh, in hotel rooms. But I did. Uh, I'm I'm exhausted today, John, because I stayed up super late. We had finally, after 18 years, I finally had Ethernet run to the north side of my house, which means that uh, I have a whole lot more options as to where and how and what I do with the various uh, the devices. So I actually moved. I'm going to move my router back over to the house so that it's protected by the standby generator that we put in this summer, last summer, whatever. But uh but I need to have my my fiber moved for that. So that hasn't happened quite yet. But I did uh, put a little uh, 
rack together last night and put uh, all the disc stations and those various things over in the house, moved them from the house, from the office to the house. It's fascinating to me that, uh, and then of course I did all kinds of ping tests and speed tests to make sure that, you know, everything was, was working as I wanted it to. And, and it is, but what's really interesting to me, John, is how little impact an extra switch in the way makes for, uh, for like ping times. I, I mean, in fact, I tested this morning from the studio here. So the studio is in the same building. It's a, it's on the second floor above my office, uh, which is where things used to be. And then uh, obviously, you know, the house is across the driveway, all connected via, via, well, the house is connected via direct burial ethernet and then, um, and then regular ethernet throughout the house now. But, uh, I did a ping test and I noticed that pings to like the disc station all the way, you know, across the driveway, completely on the other side of the house were like, you know, 0.8 milliseconds or something. And then I did a test to my Mac mini, which is sitting in my office uh, right underneath me. And that was like 1.2 milliseconds. So I think it's more about the device that's responding than it is about the cabling in between, at least when it's when it's all self-contained like this. So. I'm excited to not have to worry about um, the network devices when, if and when there's a power outage. So it should be, should make life a little bit easier for us all here. Is it time? Shall we, uh, shall we get to more, more quick tips and, and such? Sure. All right. Uh, So let's start with Christopher. Take us. Thank you, sir. Uh, have you ever had a Finder tab that you wished you could just move to another Finder window to have it part of that Finder window instead? I love using Finder tabs, but sometimes I overorganize myself and realize that I want a particular Finder tab not in Finder window A, but in Finder window B. Well, believe it or not, place your cursor on the tab that you wish to move in Finder window A, click and hold and drag it into Finder window B. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's sometimes that simple. The same works for multiple Safari windows. You can drag tabs uh, to them. Probably anything else. I haven't tried it with mail. Um, I do use tabs in mail often, but I don't generally have multiple windows open in mail. So I don't know, but I, I would presume, I presume it works kind of anywhere. It certainly works in Safari and Chrome and Edge and all of that. Yeah, I like it. I love tips like this. Mm-hmm. The things that we do that amaze us. Uh, well, I mean, like, that's the beauty of it. I, uh, in line at South by Southwest for like movies or events or whatever, uh, you know, you talk to each other, you find out who each other is and, and occasionally, you know, it'd be like, so what do you do and why are you here? And it's like, oh, I do you know, three podcasts and this, that, and the other thing. And, uh, most people of course have iPhones. And so, I would share like a quick tip with them about their iPhone. And one of, one of my favorite ones to share, which comes up uh, every few years and we'll share it again. Here is the space bar turns your keyboard into a mouse trick. If people don't already know that watching the look on their faces, when they see you do it for the first time is I, I, I love it. I love the feeling of like seeing the light bulb go off. And so if you don't know what we're talking about, Get out your iPhone, uh, get into some sort of text editing scenario where you have a block of text and a keyboard up. And it's better if you have multiple lines for this particular demo. Uh, 
if you want to get to a, so you've got, you know, three or four lines of text or, or eight to 12 or 40 lines of text, whatever. Uh, if you want to get to a certain spot to edit, you know, you can tap in on the text and hope to get your finger in exactly the right spot. But that's often an exercise in frustration. What you can do instead is push and hold on the space bar. And now your entire keyboard turns into a trackpad and you can drive the cursor around and you're good to go. So try that out if you didn't know that you could do it. And uh, yeah, fun stuff. So I showed that to a lot of people. That's good. John, we have one more from the Finder. More Finder. So uh, Joe writes in and says, for years I've used color tags in Mac OS to help me identify types of files easily. The only painful part was clicking each file one by one to set its particular color, especially when a number of these needed to be the same color. Imagine my surprise today when I curiously clicked on the tags word below the tags selection window and found I could do them all in one sweep. It's also handy to clear tags from a group regardless of color or tag name. Probably has been there since tags were added, but I never had seen it or heard about this before. And sure enough, and if, if, you, uh, if you look in the finder window, um, we learned this last time or even before that, you'll see tags dot 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 what does that mean <laughs> it means that there's more to come right oh yeah right ah. so that's a good one yeah i use tags a lot sometimes i'll double tag something if it's like really important just to organize my pictures so i'll oh. do like an orange one and a red one okay and you're so. or you're tagging your pictures in the finder yes Okay, now I'm really curious. How are you storing pictures? Like not in the Photos app, but but like do you have you have folders of pictures for for various reasons? Is that yes? Interesting. Huh. Mm -hmm. Cool. What what is one of those reasons? I'm I'm just curious why you would store pictures outside of the the Photos app. That's all. Um, get closer to the mic. We want to hear you. Yes. <laughs> um just because <laughs> okay i mean I, I, is there is there a use case you can share with us just so that we can start thinking about why we might want to do uh, something similar in our lives no okay fair enough we will leave it at that then um great one of the quick tips that i learned recently was from steven robles who does the apple insider podcast he posted this one to twitter and it blew me away you know when you are in messages on the iPhone, uh, we have reactions to those messages and you can press and hold on the message and it shows you the reactions on the top of the message, above the message, I should say. And then a menu of things below the message to, you know, for various things, reply and that sort of thing. Uh, and that that's great. But you have to press and hold and, and wait a beat for that to all change in the user interface. If you just want to pull up the reactions, you can double tap the message and the reactions bubble appears immediately and you can choose one very, very quickly. So pretty cool. Just and this is again, it's on the iPhone. I assume it would work on the iPad, too. I haven't tried it there, but double tap a message on the iPhone in messages and boom, you'll see the list of reaction options appear magically across the top of the screen. Uh, so thanks to Stephen for that. And we have a different Stephen 
listener, Stephen, who uh, who brought us our final quick tip of the week, John. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a sneaky one. This um, is a follow up to our I need to yes. figure out how to type a lowercase I on the mm-hmm. iPhone without turning off autocorrect. I like it. So to type the letter I in lowercase, just create a text replacement with the shortcut such as I, I, two small eyes and replacement I. You could, of course, do a shortcut I, but then that would bypass the capitalization that you probably would normally want to happen. Uh, I like it. Uh, it is sneaky. Yeah, I love these kinds of things. All right. So, hey, look, there's been a lot of buzz around AI lately, but maybe you're not sure how it fits into your daily workflow or your daily life. Well, our sponsor Notion has just launched a new incredible tool, Notion AI, and it's fully integrated into Notion. So it has the context of everything you're already working on. If you don't know about Notion, Notion combines your notes and docs into one space that's simple, beautifully designed, and now more powerful than ever, thanks to Notion AI. We've been using Notion at one of the other shows that I do to really kind of pull together our show notes and everything. It makes life so much easier. And Notion AI helps you work faster, write better, and think bigger doing tasks that normally take you hours in just seconds. You can save time and write faster by letting Notion AI handle the brainstorm in the first draft. Or it can take your messy notes and turn them into something that's polished. You just tell Notion AI what to do. The more details, the better, of course. Or you can start a prompt and go from there and have it write a blog post, make an outline, brainstorm ideas, or summarize a whole bunch of docs into one. You've got to check this out. And for a limited time, try Notion AI for free when you go to Notion.com slash MacGeekGab. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash MacGeekGab to try out the incredible power of Notion AI today. And when you use our link, you're supporting the show too, which is great. But this is a limited time offer. Try Notion AI for free right now at notion.com slash MacGeekGab. And our thanks to Notion and Notion AI for sponsoring this episode. Next up, our sponsor Collide has some big news. If you're an Okta user, they can get your entire fleet to 100% compliance. How? Well, if a device isn't compliant, the user can't log into your cloud apps until they fix the problem. It's that simple. Collide, our sponsor, patches one of the major holes in zero trust architecture, that being device compliance. Without Collide, IT struggles to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS up to date and browser up to date. And then you've got all these unsecured devices logging into your company's apps because there's nothing there to stop them. Well, Collide is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication. And it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment Collide's agent detects a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions to fix it. If they don't fix the problem within a set time, they're blocked. But it's really nice about it because it gives you the alert. And then it uses Slack to educate your users about not just how to fix the problem, but why. So everybody's on board. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. Visit collide.com slash MGG to learn more or book a demo. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash MGG. And our thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. All right. Uh, let's do some, uh, well, some questions and some 
some not quite so quick tips. Jeremy found a good one for us, huh, John? Yes, he did. Um, while looking for an earlier version of main stage to download because the current version is so dreadful, I clicked on a wrong download button and it inadvertently allowed a virus onto my Mac. I got caught. Uh, a quick Google reveals there's plenty about this particular malware, which manifests itself as a frequent pop-up notification about my Mac being infected, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, most of the advice uh, points towards something like malware bytes to find the offending bit of code and remove it. Uh, but neither malware bytes, clean my Mac, or Onyx fail to identify and remove the malware. However, I can triumph triumphantly announce that for any of those who are similarly infected, Here's how you get rid of it, and it's stunningly simple. In Safari, go to the settings, then under the Websites tab, scroll down and hit Notifications. For me, the offending malware was sitting there, bold as you like at the top of the list sporting a macOS system. Settings logo, but with no text next to it. Simply delete it. Problem solved. Okay, good one. What an interesting vector for... Um for for this right because we, most of the time like when we think of malware we think of an application like a program that's running on our computer even a even a browser plugin or extension or whatever like we've certainly seen those but that's code that's running on your computer all this is doing is using the safari website notifications vector as or functionality as its vector to send you these notifications and hope that you click on one of them, which would bring you to their web page, which I presume is supposed to look like something official. And then maybe that would get you to install the next thing. Thank goodness. Uh, listener Jeremy didn't, didn't get caught the second time. Right. So uh, that's pretty good. I like, uh, I mean, I like, I don't like it. I don't like that people are doing this, but you know, I have to appreciate the cleverness of thinking of using that, but it is good to go into your Safari notifications every now and again and just see what websites you've given permission to uh, to to give you those notifications that because uh, you might you might decide to remove some of them. It's also good to take a look in Safari preferences extensions as well for the same reason. Just see who who has access to things in Safari and do you still want it to be that? Did you intend for that? And even if you did, you still want it to be that way. So that's a pretty good one. Uh, interesting. All right. Next up, we have a question from Xavier. He says, at my school, it appears I can't use IMAP email. When attempting to connect to Gmail on the web, it works just fine. But when I use a program like Apple Mail to do it, it doesn't work. The IMAP access setting is turned on. Is there a way to make it connect to the Gmail IMAP server? Uh, I figured out that connecting to a website at any other port than the standard port is also forbidden. Is there anything I can do to make this happen anyway or suggest to my IT admin? Says, I know it sounds off topic. Oh, not at all. No, this is great, Xavier. So I don't know what school you go to, but I experienced something similar when I'm on the UNH network, John, nearby here uh, uh you know it's the that's the university of new hampshire is right next to us and we go there for hockey games all the time they have wi-fi throughout the arena they've got wi-fi wi-fi you know the campus is bathed in wi-fi but i can't check imap email when i'm there unless unless i'm on a vpn and once i'm on a vpn i can do whatever i want um 
the trick for you, Xavier, is going to be using a VPN on one of the standard web browsing ports because clearly they are only allowing that to go through. There might be other things that they allow to go through, but it's entirely likely that they are blocking the standard VPN ports. Thankfully, most good VPNs have lots of different endpoints where you can hit them and often they will also include the standard web browsing ports. And I say ports because there are two. There's port 80 for insecure connections, for plain text connections, and then uh, or unencrypted connections, I should say. And then port 443, which is for all SSL connections, the HTTPS with the little lock in the thing. So uh, I would try private internet access. Uh, they are a former sponsor of this show, but are very much my my current VPN um, PIA has been has been great. I'll put a link in the show notes to it. I think there might even still be a Mac Geek Gab deal on that, even though uh, even though they they aren't an active sponsor. But at PIA VPN.com slash MGG, I believe, is the the link for that. So but a VPN that will let you connect on the, the you know, the uh, web browsing ports would be the one to to check out. But start start with you know PIA or or Nord or something like that and uh, and see. I, most of them will, if they fail on the standard ports, will try on the on the next one. So hopefully that gets you there. Uh, when my kids were in school, uh, local school here, you know, at, at the high school, they and all of their friends used VPNs all day long on the. Uh, on the school's network because it, it would block things like Instagram and, and that. And they were like, well, I need to be on Instagram to communicate with people. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah. I, I did the same thing. Um, our local, the, the grocery store that I go to the most. Yep. Uh, offers free Wi-Fi as does almost everybody. Um, but th this is the thing I found funny when I tried, so I connected to their Wi-Fi, and then I went to the Connecticut lottery page because they sell lottery tickets. Sure. Um, I tried to go to the page, and it said blocked. And I'm like, why? Or it gives the reason. I think it was a Cisco product, a Cisco firewall, and it's like blocked because it's gambling. And I'm like, but, but you guys sell lottery tickets here. So why are you prohibiting sure. me from going to the Connecticut lottery? But yeah, I did the same thing. I connected to my, my VPN and uh, voila, I was able to get wherever I wanted to go. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's good. Um, TN Papa in our discord chat, John asks if Apple's private relay would solve this and no, it would not. Uh, private relay is really only built. Now it's built for two things. It's built for websites. Uh, if you are a paid iCloud subscriber and you have private relay turned on, then any websites you visit will go through Apple's relay, but it's still all going to happen on port 443. Uh, if you are a, uh, if you are anyone, uh, not paid iCloud subscriber or a paid iCloud subscriber with private relay turned off. There are still some things that go through private relay, all known trackers, uh, any, any web tracker, you know, pixel tracker, whatever that Apple knows about is shoveled through their private relay as well. So that you aren't tracked by the known trackers. Uh, a lot of people don't, don't realize that, but yeah, Craig Federighi 
talked about that at the um at one of the WWDC events that year when all of this came out. Um the other time that private relay is used is if an app, Apple or third party, attempts to connect to an HTTP resource. Uh, this is not Safari. This is a third party app like on on iPhone. You know, the, if you've got an app, if it's connecting to HTTPS, Apple lets it go through. No problem. It's connecting to HTTP. Apple says it's going to be secure and routes it securely through its private relay. It's insecure from Apple's relay out to the website, but between you and the relay, all secure. So, uh, but for, for email, it's the private relay doesn't get in the way uh, for, I, especially for IMAP email. So that's not going to solve the, uh, the issue there, but it's a good question. And I'm glad you asked it. I'm glad we, we had a, this is what I love about doing the show live. There, there are certain things I don't like about doing the show live. Um, but, but mostly I like it because it allows for those kinds of questions to come in in real time, which is great. So, uh, yeah, so just doesn't, it just doesn't, it, it, it private relay doesn't impact IMAP mail. So, yeah. Um, all right. Joe has the next question up, John. He asks, my question is related to international travel and how you manage your iPhone when traveling. Uh, I know of the eSIM database and I'm good with the data portion of this. Uh, but I recall on some fairly recent episode where there was also an aspect of voice calling mentioned. I think Wi-Fi calling is active as long as I'm on Wi-Fi and all is good with no surcharges, but I can't find documentation on that. But what if I'm not on Wi-Fi and need voice cellular? Seems like you mentioned a database for that too. And as a bonus question, how do you handle international calling from home when setting up your travel? Uh, I have consumer cellular and they aren't cost friendly on international rates. Seem like Wi-Fi calling might work, but again, can't find actual info. So um, you're right that with most carriers, when you're international but on Wi-Fi calling, then you get phone and SMS. I won't say for free, but but it probably is for free. It's certainly included in your plan. By all means, check with your provider before you go. Don't make this assumption. I did it recently. I checked with Mint Mobile, which is my provider still, and uh, and they confirmed, yes, if you're on Wi-Fi calling, any SMS or uh, phone calls that you receive or make included in your plan, which with my plan is free. Um, and when I was in Italy recently, I did a lot of SMS receiving on my Mint Mobile number and the ones that came in and out when I was on Wi-Fi calling were not charged to my account balance. The ones that came in and out while I was, uh, when I was off of Wi-Fi, definitely were charged. And for me, with my plan, it's five cents each for SMS in and out. So it could that can add up, you know. Um, as for calling intern, so it, it, so check the eSIM database. They they and that's at eSIMDB.com, and we'll, we'll again put a link to this in the show notes. If you need a plan, you know, internationally that will allow you to have voice and or SMS on it, you can get that. Uh, it, eSIMDB is not just for data only SIMs, though. Certainly there are lots of them in there. They also have, uh, you know, regular like full, full, full featured sims with voice and minutes and all that good stuff. So you can, you can find all that at eSIMDB if you need it for travel. 
as far as for calling internationally from home, FaceTime or WhatsApp, you know, some sort of um, data based communication app is the way um, I, I rant about how we haven't embraced WhatsApp here in the U.S. like it is abroad. Um, but, it, you know, that's how it just how it is. Uh, but yeah, any any VoIP app, right? And FaceTime audio is a VoIP app. So, like when we when we're going to call our daughter in Italy, uh, if we're going to do a you know with with voice, we use FaceTime audio. Um, and you know, it's it's a little bit. You just need to be intentional when you're making the call to choose that as opposed to just calling the number. But uh, but then then you're just using a data connection. Now make sure you're either on Wi-Fi. Or that you have enough data as part of your plan to to cover whatever you know audio you're going to do. But yeah, that's that's the way is is make sure you do it that way, and then and then you're in, in good shape. So thoughts? Uh, what what do you have to add to that? I'm gonna I need to learn to stop asking you yes or no questions, John, because I set myself <laughs> up for it. <laughs> um, I will agree with you. Um, our friend Martin, um, who is from Europe, tried to communicate with me using messages and i think what worked for him so if he tried to use his phone number my phone he couldn't reach my phone but if i think when i gave him my apple id that did work for him so interesting is your phone your phone numbers attached to iMessage though it like it should yes. have figured that out interesting huh yeah I don't interesting. Know why I yeah right yeah 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 Interesting. Uh, yeah, and, ma and making sure that that not only you have all of the right things attached to iMessage in your settings, but that the people that are contacting you have the right things so that they will get to you via iMessage. And uh, if they are Apple users, if they're not, then you've got to use, you know, WhatsApp or Telegram or, you know, right. sig signal or something like that. So, and you let me know about this one time. Um and that I had to do a restore on my phone for some reason. And then all of a sudden, when you and I tried to message, you're like, are you sure you have that checkbox checked? Yeah, because you were, you were on, a green bubble person for a little while. Yeah, and it was on on one device um, I was able to message. Or, or when I compared the preferences for each device, they weren't the same. So that's why that didn't work for me. Interesting. Wow, really? Because your devices, like iMessage preferences, should be the same from device to device. Well, I guess not. No, you can. Yes, yeah, you know, you're right. You, you said it individually. Because I have some devices that have certain email addresses that, that come through and not others. So yeah, all right, yeah. Fascinating. While we're on the subject of security, Mr. Braun, uh, you want to take us to uh, Lee has a question about security keys and then you might have some experience with some security keys that you've been well he has with. a rant i think ah, so okay. um all right i can tell you right now security key security key dongle option is never going to be one i employ in the past i had to professionally rely on dongle based protection for several applications and plug them in usually very expensive applications um it's true that the dongle allows the user to move seamlessly between installations and platforms until the seams come apart. Uh, there's no end to the ways dongles vanish. Uh, not just bad scenarios like death, fire, flood, but all the things that happen to key ring, a common safe place for a dongle, um, like lending them to someone going on a cross-country jaunt, 
toilets, washing machines, rivers, lakes, or just putting them down somewhere. Uh, bags, pockets, drawers, USB ports, and other safe places aren't much better either. Have you ever found out where those missing socks go? <laughs> and where right. are those spare house keys? All right. So he makes he, he, you, you rant taken, Lee, right? Like it, you're it, when you add another physical device to your authentication path, you create a scenario where you can't lose that device. Otherwise, you lose your authentication. Just like losing your password, which isn't a physical device, but if you lose it and that's the key to the encryption, then it's lost. But Apple mitigates against this with, uh, with security keys now. Correct, John. Correct. So, um, to enable a security key, um, first off, so a security key is a physical device like a, uh, uh, Yubico, um, device right but i only had one of them so i ordered another one then i was able to deploy security keys on the phone uh now here's what apple does though you need at least two right and they actually ask you and we have a dandy little article from them um they actually will let you add up to six so um so they knew enough not to let you just use one key because as was pointed out, if you lose it, you're, you're in big trouble. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you, so you have at least two of these YubiKeys now, John, and you were able to set up your, your security key. How do you yeah. like it? It didn't work as expected. I have to do more investigation here. So both of these keys. So one is USB a, and NFC, and one is USB-C, and USB-C. And, uh, wait, USB-C, there's two USB-Cs on it? No. Okay, so it, you said it, one is USB-A and NFC, and you said the other is USB-C and USB-C. Did you oh, mean- Oh, I'm sorry, USB-C and NFC. Got it, I understand now. Okay, I'm right. with you. Right, okay. Um, so what, didn't, so yeah. what did you expect, and what didn't it do? Um- I got to find out why it isn't. A, so if I use it on the phone and hold it up to the, the top of the phone, which is where the NFC is, um, it will authenticate Great. to my Apple ID. The thing is, I can't seem to get it to work on my Mac. Well, your Mac doesn't have an NFC reader, so that would make sense. You but would have to have a USB-C port. So maybe make sure to stay on the mic so we can hear you. So. But it, but it, I got the one with a USB-C port, which my Mac does have. Okay. So why didn't that work? I guess my assumption was that the uh, serial number of the key is shared between the connections, but I guess that's not the case. Oh, you so you think... Have you contacted YubiKey support about this, by the way? No. Okay. Do Please do that. Because it would be that would be helpful for this conversation. So actually, I'm going to I'm there is a you have a theory that I don't want to put words into your mouth mm-hmm. that US that the you would need to set the key up twice once NFC and once USB-C. Is that what you're thinking? Yes. And have you tried that? Well, I can't do the. Couldn't you start the process on your Mac or no? I don't, I'm, I'm going to try that. 
Okay, great. All right. Well, so circle back with us on that because that that would be fascinating. Because uh, they did it did list them in both locations. Yeah. So when I looked, so you give it a name when you add it, and when I added both of them on the phone, and then I looked at the same section on my Mac OS machine, it was like, oh yeah, you got two security keys. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, but it but it plugging but maybe it, it only knows them. Yeah, again, maybe it only knows them on the machine that it was configured on. All right, we'll finish that process this week and circle back because we want to. Yeah. We want to know. Great. Make sure to stay on the mic as well when you talk. Uh, we can't keep reminding you of this. So, um, I had a weird issue about uh, fifteen minutes ago here with the show. In fact, we had to. I had to reboot my Mac. Suddenly, I started hearing the audio. In a very crackly way. So all of that, uh, that, that knocking on that wood knocking that I did at the beginning of the show failed, uh, clearly, but, uh, I started hearing audio with, with like, uh, stutters. It sounded like everybody, including me was talking while someone was like, you know, beating on your back. You know how it makes you sound like, you know, like stuttery and weird when, when someone's like, you know, doing like that on your back. That's what it sounded like. I'm like, well, I can't do the show like this. But John, you weren't hearing it that way. No one on any of the streams was hearing it that way. The audio recording was not that way. It was literally only the audio that was making it to my ears. So I did some troubleshooting. I did the normal things. I power cycled my audio device, which is a Thunderbolt Quantum 2626. No, I quit and relaunched Logic, which is the app that I use to, to sort of be my mixer. No. I did play the audio through my Mac speakers. Yes, that was fine, including the audio coming in through my Thunderbolt device. So I thought, well, I could move my headphones to my Mac and like just deal. But this seems like a problem that might not be a good idea to just ignore. Uh, and I finally, you know, looking at all of those signals and 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 such, I, I reasoned, I think I have a Thunderbolt problem. Like, cause my audio device is Thunderbolt. Everything else on the, uh, you know, connected to the Mac was working fine. So I shut down my Mac. I just for, for, to be thorough because I wasn't interested in finding out exactly what was going on. I was interested in getting it fixed. I power cycled, not just my Mac, but all of my Thunderbolt devices. Then I brought my Mac back up and, you know, more wood knocking. Uh, we uh, we've been good for the last uh, 15 minutes or so here since since we've been back for the show. But uh, it, fascinating. It's uh, it just a, I've never experienced that particular thing before. Now, I mean, I was gone for two weeks, I but I've, I've, I've recorded like three shows in, in the studio since I've been back. So it's not like this is a, a, a first time at it. But yeah, it's just one of those weird things that. It was only audio out, not audio in and not audio recorded. I don't know. It's some weird interrupty thing. And I tried, like I said, I tried resetting the, the, the device so that it would, uh, you know, resync itself. And no, it didn't matter. It was something, something, who knows, something in the chain maybe, but I'll fix now. Uh, our last question comes from listener Scott and, uh, I, I if, if if the audio is to behave, Scott, take it away. Hello, John, Dave, and Pete. Scott here from Palm Springs. I have a quick question about updating my 14-inch MacBook Pro to uh, Ventura from Monterey and what the process would be if I wanted to roll it back. 
I've got two legacy ops that were great in Monterey. They are no longer in development. Um, but I'm not sure if they're going to work with Ventura. Normally I would just roll it back to a disk image that I created in Carbon Copy Cloner. Uh, I don't think you can do that with Apple Silicon. Um, is the only way, if I had to roll it back to Monterey, back up with Time Machine, and then restore the entire system, and then restore from my Time Machine backup. Seems like a bunch of steps, but didn't know if you had any other feedback. Thanks so much. Yeah, un unfortunately, uh, Scott, that would be the the way. Uh, and I don't, like, that would be the best case. I don't even know that Monterey, a prior version of Mac OS, is going to happily read, like, the. let me say this a, a better, more concise way. I don't know that Migration Assistant in a prior version is going to read data from a time machine backup from a future version. Um, however, Kiwi Graham in the uh, Discord might have our answer for us. He says, uh, Carbon Copy Cloner tells you to first reinstall the old Mac OS and then restore data from your Carbon Copy Cloner backup. So that would be the way to do it is, yes, shoot a Carbon Copy Cloner backup. Then if you need to roll back, do it that way and and you'll bring your you you'll bring your your data over in the right way yeah there's a there's a consensus forming that migration assistant probably isn't going to be too happy about uh, what you are what you are proposing here but carbon copy cloner would be sort of the the way so john what are your thoughts on this would virtualizing your old environment makes sense uh how would you do that i don't know that we can virtualize mac os on apple silicon these days yeah i was looking i thought parallels had released the m1 version but maybe not yeah i don't know that it'll do it with mac os maybe maybe yeah I mean, yes, I, I like the I, I would agree that that virtualizing it would be the answer. I just don't know that there is a way for us to do that. But otherwise, that's a great idea. Um, but because then it, it just compartmentalizes it and it will always be whatever you want it to be, regardless of what hardware it's running on. But yeah, our virtualization options on Mac OS are sadly lacking these days and and i'm not overly happy about this but it is it is the way so what's worse than buying a pair of expensive sunglasses and losing them right after you get them what's worse than that breaking them well not for me and my family not since we got shady rays shady rays makes high quality sunglasses that are just as good frankly in our opinion even better than expensive ones and shady rays are a fraction of the price shady rays are durable built to tackle all of life's outdoor adventures their styles are timeless and on point and they make us look good plus all shady rays have polarized lenses for crystal clear vision and strong sun protection that's the real test of a good pair of sunglasses and speaking of strong here's why i don't worry about losing or breaking my shady rays ever and that's because every pair of Shady Rays is backed by their industry-leading lost and broken replacements program. 
Break or lose a pair the second you take them out of the box, they'll send you a replacement pair free. Shady Rays isn't happy unless you're happy. That's why they give you 30 days to try them. And if you don't like them, you can exchange or return them for free. My family and I have been using Shady Rays for years. My son was the one who found them because he lost a pair of good sunglasses and he didn't want to go through that again. And he found Shady Rays and their replacement program and all of that stuff. And it's been fantastic. Everybody in my family is using Shady Rays now. They make great glasses. I was wearing a pair of Shady Rays, you know, when I was down in Vegas for Podcast Movement in Austin for South by Southwest. They look good. They feel good. You got to check this out. And hey, what's better than getting one pair of Shady Rays and not worrying if you break or lose them? Getting two. So go to ShadyRays.com slash MGG and use code MGG. And for a limited time, when you buy one pair of Shady Rays, you'll get a second pair free. That's S-H-A-D-Y-R-A-Y-S dot com slash M-G-G, code M-G-G, to get a second pair of Shady Rays free. ShadyRays.com slash M-G-G, code M-G-G, and our thanks to Shady Rays for sponsoring this episode. Hey, well, I have you here. If you like tech podcasts, then you need to subscribe to Software Defined Talk right now. It's a weekly show that recaps all the news in cloud computing, DevOps, and enterprise software. The hosts, Kote, Matt Ray, and Brandon, will keep you up to date on topics like DevOps, Kubernetes, platform engineering, and anything related to enterprise tech. Plus, they'll weave in plenty of nonsense, like how to optimize shopping at Costco. So, you know, nerdy stuff. It's a fun, freewheeling conversation that'll keep you informed and entertained while doing the dishes or walking your dog. What are you waiting for? Subscribe to the podcast today by visiting softwaredefinedtalk.com or by searching for Software Defined Talk in your favorite podcast app. And our thanks to Brandon, Matt Ray, and Kote for doing this swap with us. All right, let's, uh, let's do some cool stuff found here, John. The first thing that I want to share comes from listener Alex S. in our Discord, and it's Mac Whisper which is a Mac app that uses Whispers AI to do transcription. So it's native Mac OS app leverages the Whisper AI, which is one of the sort of standard now AI transcription engines and does it right there on your Mac. So uh, yeah, pr pretty cool stuff. Um, it's a, like, I, I, I am using AI a ton here. Uh, in my both work and personal life, I I I, I want to. In fact, we'll we'll save this for next week when Pete's here. I want to I want to do a segment on how all three of us are using uh, AI because I I I think we can learn from each other and 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 start that conversation. But uh, but yeah, thank you, Alex, for sharing Mac Whisper, good stuff. And uh, while we're on the subject of audio, I found a a piece of software called hush John that is sort of purpose built for removing again, using AI uh, to clean up recorded speech. So it'll pull out like background noise and, uh, and like, you know, hums and hisses and things like that without, they say without changing the timbre of the voice quality in the original super automated and of course it's uh it, it's a native mac app it's called hush so we'll, we'll put that link in the show notes but a little bit of ai for your 
for your audio needs, which makes things fun. I, yeah, I'm, I'm super happy, at least currently, to be living in an AI, AI driven world. It's good stuff. You want to take us to, you have a cool stuff found from listener Roger, huh, John? A cool stuff found, uh, revisited really. Yeah. Um, so Roger says, if Libby does not work, Libby being a service that lets you, that gives you a, a virtual library. Um, so he said, if Libby does not work, this will use the Hoopla app from your Apple TV to view loans of music, TV, or movies through your local library. Each month you get eight loans, which worked um, for a six-episode uh, of a TV series we recently watched. It uh-huh. takes a while to set it up, but we got it to work well. And I was like, huh, that sounds really familiar. And so I went to um, Hoopla.com, Dave, yeah. and uh, guess what? I have an account. <laughs> So I think it's hoopladigital.com, not hoopla.com, but just, just so people know. The link will yes. be in the show notes, so you can click it from there. And if you want the show notes in your email, go to macgeekup.com, sign up. Every week, we automatically send you the show notes, so you get all the links. But that, were you, did you get up? Did you, did you get up? Did you set up the Apple TV app? Like, did, were you able to get that rolling? No. Oh, okay. I, I will. I, yeah. Okay. I, but thanks for letting us know because yeah, but you can do it through the the browser, which is what I did in the past. Yeah. I um after we talked about it in show nine sixty eight, I I went and looked, and it's like I I went to sign up, and it's like okay, well you need to activate your library card this way or whatever, and and I was like okay, and it like my public library was on the list, and so I guess I had to get a pin for my library card or something, and so I called my library and they gave me the pin. And then I was able to to get Hoopla set up. I had I I'd been using Libby for years. Libby, I know we talked about it recently, but Libby is awesome for for renting books or borrowing books from the library. Uh, and you can link them straight to your Kindle app if you want to read. In fact, you don't have to have to put them on the Kindle app. I read them on my Kindle Paperwhite, which is awesome. But uh, I had not until we talked about it in in 968. I hadn't really. I wasn't really aware of how Hoopla worked and. I haven't used it yet, but I've got it all set up. I haven't set it up on my Apple TV. I don't even think I knew that there was an Apple TV app until this very moment. So, so we will, uh, more, more on that, but yeah, it's cool stuff. Fun. Are there any, do you use Libby with your library? Are there, are there any other things you use, John? No. Okay. God, I just gotta um, stop asking well, actually, no, there questions. is another, there is, <laughs> um, Okay, here's another one that I think I do have the Apple TV app for. Tubi, T-U-B-I. Okay. Watch free movies and TV shows online. Okay. That's cool. I, I Like, are there things that you watch in Tubi, that, like specific things that you've, that you've used Tubi for? Um... Off the top of my head, I'm just I'm just curious if like what kind of content is is out there in Tubi? Like, to whom would it be valuable? I guess is the the you know the 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 question. I'm looking. They say thousands of titles. Browse titles. Let's browse some titles here. Shattered, Columbo, Divorce Court, Super Bad. Oh well, then it's great if it's got Super Bad. They've got the Mm -hmm. Matrix. Okay, ah, huh? That's not wow. All right. Huh. Okay. Free movies and TV, fewer ads than cable. Ah, that's the catch. Okay. Yeah. 
That's pretty good. All right. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's like, you could probably find something on here to, to pass some time. I don't know. Fun. Cool. All right. The next thing up is um, Camo, which is an app that I use every week. I've been using it uh, since last year to allow me to use my iPhone as a camera. Now, of course, Apple as a webcam. Apple came out with continuity camera earlier uh, this or late last year. And that's fine. But it doesn't have nearly the features that camo does in terms of being able to control like how the camera looks and uh, like zoom or any of that stuff. It's just sort of, you know, here's your iPhone. We know best. And for some things like they probably do camo now expands things. So instead of just being that link between your camera and your phone and having all those great features, your, your, your phone camera and your Mac and having all those great features, uh, camo two now works with your webcam, your built-in camera, your, uh, your continuity camera. So it, all of the cool, any of the cool camo features that could be used on, uh, given camera that you might have can now be used on that camera. Doesn't mean that you get Apple's magic of like portrait mode on a webcam that has no smarts for portrait mode because camo isn't doing portrait mode. It's simply leveraging the iPhone's ability to do portrait mode. Those are two different things and it's awesome. But uh, so a lot of the smarts that are built into Apple's cameras are only there for Apple's cameras, but you get to leverage them in camo now, uh, regardless of how you are connecting the camera up. So I, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about what, what camo is doing and, and camo works wired or wireless here in the studio. I, I leave my iPhone 13 mini, uh, just sitting on top of the, the computer in the studio. And when I say sitting on top, I, we've talked about this. I have this like clamp arm mount thing because it's a pain in the neck to do this it should be way easier but it's not so uh maybe there's maybe there's more i've got i've got to try more uh more mounts but we'll we'll get there somebody i should have brought one with me when i traveled it would have been a better camera to use but anyway camo makes life easy i like the camo what what webcam are you using these days john uh get closer to the microphone Logitech. There it is. Dude, why is this? Wait, wait, wait. I got to ask now because this is like the seventh time that I've mentioned it. And then people in the chat have been have been screaming about it, too. This is different today. This is a new habit for you. Is it because after the last show, there, there were some background noises that you were making, like, you know, rubbing yes. your hands together and stuff. So we had you turn up yourself and your ears. Is is the the is the reason that you're not leaning forward a byproduct of you being louder to yourself and not thinking that you need to be louder for yes. the listeners? Uh, okay, all right. So we got to fix that. Maybe maybe we need to um, put uh, a, like a lift on the back of your chair so it's just constantly leaning you forward. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I have the uh, the Brio. Logitech Brio. Okay. Yes. I I bet can I I I, I want to hear how Camo works on the Logitech Brio because that would be a great little test. So you you mm. gotta test that out for us and and let us know next week. It's good. Okay. Fun. Um. Oh, here's another thing that you could test out for us, John. The next cool stuff found 
comes from listener Camelion. And I'll pull it up here, but I know what it is. Uh, it's fantastic. He says, I set up several HomePod and HomePod minis around my house today. When setting up the home app, it asked me if I wanted to turn on and use intercom. This allows you to use the home pods as intercom devices. You can even send the audio to iPhones, watches, and AirPods. Makes it even easier to tell the kids dinner is ready and it can be activated by Siri. That's pretty cool. Huh. You've got two home pods, right, John? Mm-hmm. Oh, you gotta set this up and test this for us too. I don't have any home pods. So you're 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 the one. But I, I'm curious how that works. Like setting it up and then Having it message your uh, your phone or your watch, that's pretty good. So you just, you, once you set it up, you say, uh, Siri, intercom, it's time to wake up. Or Siri, ask everyone, has the dog been fed? Or you can be specific about it. You can say, Siri, announce upstairs, the movie is starting. Siri, ask the kitchen, what's for breakfast? I wish my kitchen would make me breakfast. Uh, and then you can use Siri to reply as well. You can say Siri reply, you know, I fed the dog in the morning or Siri make your own breakfast. Uh, that's pretty good. Ah, fascinating. Uh Oh, what's going on? Is this my freaking, you know, I didn't use the H word. Why is the, why (laughs) I didn't use the H word. I swear you heard me. I recorded it. (sighs) Ah, Why did it listen? Man, that's weird. Like, I thought we had to say, hey, and then after that, say the word Siri in order for her to listen. But clearly, (laughs) she's listening more than I wanted. This isn't good. (sighs) I don't know, man. I don't know. Siri's listening more than I wanted. More than I realized. Yeah, I've noticed that as well. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I'll be watching a TV show or a movie, and all of a sudden, something will trigger Mm. her, and it's like... Yeah. We get that with the Amazon thing. Anything that has, like, the licks sound in it, right? Because that's in the A, Lex, uh, right? You know, but if if there's, like, a sound that has, like, a vowel and then the the, the X sound, that, Mm. that often... And what sucks is in our living room, you know, we use the Sonos Arc as our as our like sound in the living room, and it has uh, the A Lady enabled on it, and so it means that the sound from our movie that just made that trigger sound like gets reduced while it waits for the next command, and it's like, nope, you literally made the sound yourself, like it came out of you. Why don't you know this? It should. Anyway, yeah, we need to put a limit on John's chair lean back. I agree. Uh, I have a little bit of uh, a cool stuff found to share, John, and, and perhaps even a little bit of show and tell with the next one. It's a company that, well, we knew about them before uh, CES, but, but we ran into them at CES. It's a company called Rolling Square, and they, they make a lot of cool things. But their in-charge cable is my my new favorite. And it comes in all different sizes. I, I have this really short one that if you're watching the video, you'll see, but I'll explain it. The only reason I have the short one is because they, they sent me three 
three lengths, this one that's like a foot long and then a two meter and a three meter. And the other people in my house quickly commandeered the two and three meter versions. So uh, when you look at this cable, one nice part is it magnetizes itself together. So uh, so it 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 like it fits nicely in your bag and the larger versions come with a nice little case that you can just roll them up and put it in, which is great. And when you first look at it, it's a USB A to lightning cable, which is cool. But let's say you needed a USB C to lightning cable. Well, you just pop the end off and it has this cool little hinge thing. And now there's a USB C tip to lightning. And what if you needed USB C to USB C? Well, it'll do that too by popping off the other tip. So now you got USB-C to USB-C. And lastly, if you wanted USB-A to charge your USB-C things, which if John, as John learned, doesn't really work well for your laptop, but it would work for like your, uh, um, your, your well, your, your next iPhone, certainly, uh, or your iPad would even charge this way. Boom. You got it. You're good to go. So handy little cable. It's got, it's perfect for travel. Cause, and a great thing to leave in your travel case because you've always got all of the things that you would need. A, lightning, C, and C. And that's the uh, rolling square in-charge cable with all self-contained. It doesn't have, like, you're not going to lose the adapter to go from C to lightning because it's built into the cable. It just swings out of the way. It's pretty good. And uh, as Brian Monroe in the chat points out, designed in Switzerland. So... Uh, but I, I, I believe him makes sense to me. I, I know, I know that they, after CES, they left and went back to somewhere in Europe. So I think that tracks, but they have, they have all different sizes of these in charge cables. So you got to go check it out as Brian Rose says, Oh, I like it. The Swiss army knife of cables. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Super efficient. It's just simple and smart. So I like it. I like things like that. Because it makes our life better. Uh, we got a couple more cool stuffs found. Yeah, John? Sure. Cool. Um, Alex, again, in Discord, man, showed us another cool thing using AI. This time, it is called Warp. And it is, well, first, Warp is just a uh, a, a terminal app for your Mac, right? So you can download that and use it as a terminal. But they added Warp AI to it, which includes an AI engine right there in the terminal. And what it's great for is things like saying, uh, I need to convert uh, .7z files to .chd. And then, boom, it comes back and says, you can use the chd man tool from the main project to convert these. Here's an example command. And it shows you the code and you can even copy the code and uh, paste it right into the terminal. And then, of course, because it's using a transformative AI, which means that you get to interact with it based on previous answers, you can ask the question, hey, can I make it recursive? And it's like, sure, you can. Here's the code to do that. Um, I, I asked it, you know, how do I convert three audio files from FLAC to MP3? And it's like, you can use the FFmpeg command line tool to convert these. And it gave me a command. It's like, uh, make sure you have FFmpeg installed on your system before running this command. You can install it using Homebrew by running brew install FFmpeg. So like this is 
this is one of the killer use cases of AI is being able to like, it's a much better search engine. It's funny, Lisa and, uh, and Emily, our, our niece who lives with us and, and I were on the couch the other night and talking about AI and, uh, Lisa hadn't installed, you know, um, she hadn't launched chat GPT yet. So she did. And we showed her a couple things. Like I asked her, I asked chat GPT to, 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 um, come up with well, the first thing I did was I was like, uh, tell me, help me convince my wife that we should only have cats and not dogs. Right. Like, I, you know, fine. Cause we were having this conversation. She's like, I don't want to have cats anymore. I just want to have dogs. And I'm like, well, let's go the other way. So, uh, so I did that and it was like, okay, great. And then I said, well, add to it, you know, uh, something about traveling and how cats are easier. So it rewrote it and did that. And then I said, okay, now write it as a limerick. And it did this awesome limerick uh, for for me to read to Lisa, which I did, and she wasn't super happy about it. But later that night, I found Lisa was using it like a search engine. Now, ChatGPT isn't the best search engine because it doesn't have current data. Its data is about 18 months old. But with what Bing is doing, with what Google's doing, leveraging current data and letting an AI, like that's, that's going to be another key thing, but yeah, having it, I've had it write a lot of code for me. I know I said we we're going to do this in the next episode, so we'll we'll we'll, we'll I'll, I'll I'll back off now. But um, but if you haven't played with Chat GPT, definitely check it out. So it's it's fascinating to me. It makes life super easy. Uh, you know, it it takes a lot of the friction out of the creation parts of things. So we'll talk about it next episode. Uh, unless you have anything to share about it now, John. I tried to sign up and I never got activated. So, All right, well, sign up again and then start playing with it. Yeah, it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's good. Yeah, at least I had no trouble signing up the other night. So you might have just tried to hit it at a time, or may or check your spam folder. Like it might have mm-hmm. sent you your email in there. So, uh, all right. Let's see. One last cool stuff found. Sure, I'm not sure. This is. I'm not sure this hits our twenty percent rule, but it's it's a good one. Uh, for people who need it, listener Jeff uh, tells us about Creator's Best Friend, which he says is, uh, I struggled for a few months trying to grab the timestamps of chapter markers for my YouTube videos in Final Cut Pro and then finally found Creator's Best Friend. Uh, I've been using it for many months now and couldn't be happier. The app works in Final Cut Pro and Adobe Premiere. Once you have your video completely, once you have edited your video completely and before or even after you render it, all you need to do is click the icon in the menu bar of Final Cut Pro and uh, copy the clipboard and paste it into anywhere. And you just, boom, get all of the chapters magically through uh, right from Final Cut Pro or or right there. So that's uh, that's pretty good if you're if you're doing if you're doing anything in Final Cut Pro and publishing to YouTube. Or any, if you're publishing anything to YouTube where there are segments to your video, putting the chapter timestamps in to YouTube is awesome. Uh, and it, you don't like there's once you get the timestamps, there's no magic to it. You just put the timestamp in the description and you can see how it's done on our Mac Geekab channel. If you go to Mac, uh, youtube.com slash at Mac Geekab or simply Mac Geekab.com slash YouTube brings you to the same place. If you look at our full length, you know, episode videos, we put the chapter timestamps in there, but when they, when YouTube renders them, 
you can click them and it jumps you to that point in the chapter, but it also shows the video with those chapters broken out in the timeline and it will give you the names and it's a, it's a pretty cool thing. So, uh, nice that they make a tool for that. You got anything else for today, Mr. Braun? No. All right. Well, then it's time to bring the band in. I don't really know where we are on time. Actually, I do have an idea. I think we're, I think we're at about 110 right now, maybe 109. Uh, we had to chop the recording into two because I had to reboot my computer. But it survived the rest of the show. So I will chalk that up to the gremlins that lived in my studio while I was gone, even though it's been fine. And even though my computer rebooted yesterday, like, I don't know, man. But whatever. Whatever. Here we are. As we often say on this show when troubleshooting, if the problem only ever happens once... Don't spend too much time thinking about it because you might never be able to replicate it to know if you figured out what it was or fixed it. So that's where we are. That's where we're at, yo. Um, our thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Make sure you check out the shows that uh, that we do that isn't this one, Pilot Pete's So There I Was. Us, my giggabpodcast.com, and also. MyBusinessBrain.show. We would. I, I, I say my. That's wrong. I do a show at GigGabPodcast.com. I also do another show at BusinessBrain.show. There's no my in front of those URLs. I was. I was speaking. I knew what I was saying. Most of you probably knew what I was saying. Just for clarity, there's no my in front of you. This URL. Thanks for hanging out with us, folks. Thanks for checking out our sponsors. Of course, we mentioned them in the episode, but check out Collide, K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash M-G-G, Notion dot com slash Mac Geekab for some AI goodness. That's really cool what they're doing with it. ShadyRays.com slash M-G-G, too. I love my Shady Rays. Good stuff. John, if you would be so kind as to lean real close to the mic and tell people those three, three words in your sultriest of voice, we would appreciate it. Don't get caught. <laughs> Made up. I love it. Later. <laughs>